Alrighty, it's another episode of the Steve Laidlaw podcast, and the draft lottery is in the news once again. People are complaining about it. The GMs are complaining about it, and that means that we got to bring on our favorite lottery reformist. It's the Kung Fu Canuck. Kung Fu, how are you doing? I'm good, Steve. I, I saw the Kung Fu Canuck symbol as soon as uh, they started talking about the draft lottery, so... I tried to get as prepared as possible as quickly as possible. Thanks for having me on. I immediately lit up the lit up the signal when I heard about this because my goodness, can they just figure something out and stick with it? And I guess like this year they changed it. So no, they cannot. But I don't get what their consternation is about. Do they need to have some kind of tanking sommelier to just just give every single pick out and decide, oh, you're the most deserving. You get to take the number one pick. Your tank is worthy. Funny enough, I actually thought that that would be the best idea at one point in the last little bit. Because I, I was thinking about how I always find it really funny when fans complain that the, the lottery is rigged. Like, I think Sabres fans have said this before. It's like, oh, the lottery is rigged so that like Edmonton could win it or the Leafs could win it or whatever. And the Rangers, I was thinking to myself, like, aren't you kind of as a Sabres fan telling on yourself that you, you realize that your team clearly doesn't matter if the league is not willing to rig it in your favor. So <laughs> I actually, actually kind of like the idea of just like each team should make their case for why not even why they deserve the first overall pick. They should make their case why the league should actually rig the draft in their or the draft lottery in their favor. Like it should be real Game of Thrones cutthroat stuff. No bribery. You actually have to make your case. They have to then, go visit a panel of like tanking sommeliers. Like, who do we get on the panel? We get we have to have Sam Hinkie because he died for this. Do do we get <laughs> Tim Murray on there? Um, well, then you then you have too many then you have too many like tank enthusiasts. You have too many tank commanders. Who I think I feel like Brian Burke would have to be a part of it, right? He should be a part of most panels, and not because I agree with the guy, but he just he'll be your contrarian no matter what the other two uh, people, no matter what their position is. Oh, I I could fully support this, Brian Burke. Well, he has all the hockey experience. And the guy went to Harvard Law School. He was an agent. He's worked in like basically every part of the industry. And I, I've been reading his book recently and no one is more disciplined and principled seemingly than him. Like everything, every single chapter, it seems like he's bringing up a new set of tenets and principles, whether it's how he wants to build his roster or what he had to do to make himself into a a college hockey player or all these different tenets that he had to do to build himself up or manage his team or just like set out his career. And if anyone is going to do the best job of deciding something like this, like the guy had to decide league punishment for cases of, of players suspensions and stuff like that when they went outside the rules and he ate plates and plates of shit doing that and <laughs> he would eat plates and plates of shit sitting on this panel too and i can think of no one more prepared to shove that shit right back in everyone else's face i i also feel like it would like this is kind of a deserving punishment for the tyler biggs pick so i'm, I'm very on board with this 
<laughs> I've been referencing that that selection so much. Oh my goodness. Um, talk, you talk about Burke being principled. He definitely has a set of rules. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the guy's got to be truculent. Yeah, exactly. You were asking uh, yeah. about why why the GMs can't seem to like figure this out. Why I think it's pretty clear why. It's because the draft lottery is like kind of stupid. And it always is going to, there's always going to be hurt feelings in it, right? I think that was kind of the whole point of what we spent the better part of an hour and a half talking about. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, there's no malice or rationale about it. It's you're playing bingo and someone, someone gets to scream it out and everyone else leaves hurt. Yeah. And, you know, there's always going to be, you know, if the Red Wings had won it, I think people would have been somewhat okay, but they would have said, okay, well, this is going to incentivize tanking or, you know, like this is, this is not what we wanted. Or I don't know. I'd have complained because the Red Wings are in my division. I'll come up with something. And the are Rangers, they in your division now? Well, <laughs> I mean, okay. Let, let's be honest. They may not be like formally in the division. Could, were they really even in the Atlantic division last year? No, like, I, I, I think they were, well, I mean, they were able to beat the Montreal Canadiens. Oh, that's a, that's a very good point. I'm glad we got to bring that up within the first five <laughs> minutes of this podcast. But yeah, I mean, no one's going to be happy. I'm pretty sure the Rangers were designed to make everyone just a little bit unhappy. If it had been the Leafs or the Blackhawks or the Penguins... Um, or the Oilers and the Blackhawks actually weren't, weren't there. Like you would have, it would have been too angry. There would have been like an apocalypse. And if it was like the Minnesota wild people would have been too okay with it, but the Rangers were just perfect enough. They were just bad enough, but they were just undeserving enough that I think everyone's upset. So yeah, I'm not surprised that we have our yearly hang, hang ringing about the, the draft lottery. They were the Goldilocks team of tanking. Yeah, this team sucks just enough. <laughs> Someone's drafting my Alexi. <laughs> okay, uh, that's that's more than the draft lottery reform chatter deserves. Well, I have to disagree because no one no one's asked me for no one of the GMs has asked me for my proposal yet, even though it's been out there for months. And frankly, I think that's insulting. It's out there in the ether. They can look it up. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, we got to make this podcast bigger. So let's bring some hot takes on the Leafs offseason to try to stir some shit up. And maybe we can swing back around on uh, on draft lottery reform. What did you think about the Leafs offseason thus far? Pretty happy with it. I kind of a lukewarm take i can go hotter on those takes if you want and and bump that up to like a solid b plus or even a minus um i'm happy at least that the biggest move they made was probably the best one that they made um you know i think the tj brody signing is feel like in any other year it would get a lot more play than it actually has but people are really really laser focused on like three signings that total under $3 million or something approaching that, um, which are not important, not unimportant. I mean, I think it's, 
it's very interesting and it, it says a lot about the team that you know they're signing guys like Simmons and Bogosian and we'll get into them but it just feels weird that in any in any other year you'd be talking a lot about like oh wow TJ Brody uh he's a Toronto born kid he's you know probably going to be the best right D that they've had in years and Morgan Riley might actually be playing hockey with a capable defense partner and I feel like I'm hearing a ton more about Jimmy VC than I am about uh, TJ Brody which is kind of the curse of Jimmy VC, obviously. The, the man does attract attention. Um, so I, I'm happy that their biggest move, their most consequential move was probably their smartest one um, because I feel like under previous GMs, you'd be signing Wayne Simmons for five years. Uh, so it's nice that they only signed him for the one year. Although Wayne Simmons, I have thoughts about. We, Let's we, hear I those know. thoughts. I got to I got to hear what you got to say about Wayne Simmons. I think that he is going to be one of the most beloved Toronto Maple Leafs and everyone but he's also going to be one of the most hated because everyone who's looking at the numbers is going to hate him and everyone who's watching him beat people up is going to be happy about him and he's going to score just enough tap-in goals created by some of the fantastic playmakers that they have that they're going to be really, really excited about who he is and what he is and what he means. And I, I'm wondering if he doesn't end up being a guy who he doesn't really play all that much and then come playoff time actually ends up being an impact player or if he plays a ton and is a detriment. So when you were talking about him being loved and hated, you were just talking about what my opinions about him were going to be simultaneously, right? <laughs> is, this, is this where you're at? Is this what Leaf fandom this is about? I, I think Wayne Simmons is awesome. First of all, seems like a super dude, like just a great guy. Um, seems like he's really excited to be playing in Toronto. Uh, notably not a Leafs fan growing up, but I can forgive that. Uh, and he's... For a long time, everyone wanted not just a Wayne Simmons. Everyone wanted actual Wayne Simmons. And it, it is really, really cool and awesome that he's playing here. Um, the, the, the problem is, as you said, the numbers. Um, just before Wayne Simmons was signed, like literally, I think with like 30 seconds before, I didn't, I didn't know that that was going to happen. I basically had a tweet that said, like, I'm, I'm begging you to please just look at this chart. Just, just look at this chart. And it's just this. It's Wayne Simmons' career wins above replacement and in the last three years it looks like the last three months of enron like it just <laughs> it just dips below the like below negative and it's it's this this three-year slide from 17 18 18 19 and 19 20 and it's i'm i'm all for a reclamation project and i'm all for any sort of regression uh bet especially on something where it's only a million and a half and the guy's done it before but that that the last three years, if they're anything like what you're going to be seeing this year, then even at a million five, this could be a problem um, if they play in too much. Now that's a lot of ifs. I think you're making a huge bet that that his health has just been wretched the last three years, and that the last seven months or however long it's going to be that he has off is going to sort of get him back into playable game shape, which is not unreasonable. But, you know, a million five is low. It's not nothing. It's not you're only in the lineup 30 games kind of money either. 
So to your point, he might end up playing a lot and he might end up being a detriment or he'll be the most inspiring story of all time. I think those are really the only two options. Yeah, they really need to find a way to get him into like an even lesser role than what Pat Maroon was for the Tampa Bay Lightning in the regular season or Corey Perry was for the Dallas Stars. I mean, Corey Perry, we talk about a detriment. He was probably a detriment to the Dallas Stars in the regular season. And then lo and behold, they take two months off and he's a phenom for the Dallas Dallas Stars. Like he's, he's turning back the clock and scoring some big goals for them. So I think that is the hope for the Leafs here is that they've got this guy who he's not one of those 82 game players. He's one of those 16 win players and he's, he's the guy who's going to help you get wins in the playoffs. And maybe he doesn't help you get so many wins in the regular season. And hopefully he has enough in the tank by that time. But I don't know. It just seems like this is falling in line with the Spezza signing, the Thornton signing. You go back into the, history of the Leafs they're signing all these guys who have been everyone's always dreamed about these players suiting up for the Leafs Eric Lindros and then they they always can't get them until it's way too late although in fairness Eric Lindros and Jason Spezza in their respective one years with the Leafs actually pretty good Jason Spezza actually had a fantastic year last year like you're talking about a guy who by both the sort of like numbers, contract projections, and just the punditry, he could have gotten a lot more elsewhere. Um, so the fact that he's there on league minimum again, you never know with a guy who's 37, but that's a real good bet for what he's actually been providing. And in fairness to my other point, a guy who actually provided a lot more in his one year at the least than he did the previous kind of couple of years with Dallas. So, you know, maybe there is something to be said about, about role and fit. And, you know, it's nice when it's on league minimum. And it's a guy that you like and another local boy. Um, but of course, I, I'm, I'm forgetting the, two, the biggest local boy that they actually did sign. Um, my personal bearded hero, Zach Bogosian. How are you feeling about that signing? Because for me, he a, a lot of water was carried by the very talented left side defenseman in Tampa Bay that allowed him to be better than he was, but he filled a role for a cup winner. So you hope that he can do something similar on the Leafs, but again, yeah, it's, hard... it's a league minimum salary. So. Yeah. I mean, he's clearly a guy who I, I don't expect that he would be in the lineup every night because they, they have guys who are generally more talented. I, I did have him kind of pegged as you definitely would you definitely could see where he fits in the lineup if you're going to have those nights where you carry 7D because you can really, really pay, uh, play him on the penalty kill and sort of defending a lead. And uh, are, are you implying that the Leafs don't have some sort of Victor Hedman to play him with? I, I think that's really insulting, insulting to Morgan Riley and Martin Marincin. I don't even... <laughs> Marincin. Uh, honestly... We talked about the Brody signing and how important that is to provide a a steady partner for Morgan Riley. But the thing that I took away most from these playoffs is you got to have, the Leafs clearly have a lineup that can score with the best of teams and they can go three lines deep with that. 
but they don't have the defense pairings. And I don't know that TJ Brody gets them to having those two pillar defensemen on two different pairings that you can roll out 50 minutes a night. And if the strategy is to just have no holes on their defense and be able to roll out their pairings and not be incredibly bad, then maybe that'll work. But I don't know if they're at that point either. Yeah, and that's fair. I mean, they don't I might disagree a little bit on Brody with the with the, you know, belief that I could end up being a lot of crow on that. But the the fancy stats, like the real fancy stats, the regression analysis, they really love Brody this year. And I know the knock on Brody has always been that two things. Is one, everyone thinks he's a Jake Gardner type, which is great for me. Jake Gardner is one of my favorite defensemen of all time um, as a least fan. But the other one is that he was a, he was just a product of Mark Giordano. The, the Jake Gardner part seems fair in a positive way to me. The Mark Giordano part, I don't know. I did a lot. I did a big deep dive into Brody even before they signed him just as an option. And what I was finding was that his results away from Giordano are just fine. As long as he's not playing on his offside with Michael Stone or a very unhappy Travis Hamanick, uh, he's actually been very good no matter where you put him, both offensively and defensively. So is he the ideal pairing for a guy like Morgan Riley? Maybe not. Maybe you want someone who's just going to be an absolute rock. But I do think that at the very least, you end up with a lot of flexibility with your pairings. You have, a, you have Justin Hole who is fine. And I mean that in a very literal sense of the word. He's actually quite fine. Him and Muzzin make a very effective shutdown pairing. How much of that you want to say is Muzzin? How much of that you want to say is Hole? And how much of that is them together? The, the results are the results. But worse comes to worse, you can play around with it. You can have a Muzzin Brody pairing. You can end up with a Muzzin Bogosian pairing. You can end up with a Riley Bogosian pairing if you really want to get nuts, which, you know, I feel like keeps a little bit nuts. So you're right. I don't think they have any one horse. I don't think they have any one outstanding defenseman. And it is a lot by committee, but I think that there's different, there's enough flexibility there that you can sort of you have enough combinations that I think it's a little bit interesting. Yeah. My point with Brody isn't that he's bad. I think that he fills a role and if he helps prop Brody back up to that number one type defenseman, because I do think that you don't just have to be phenomenal on your own, like a Victor Hedman and be able to carry an entire pairing yourself. If you've got a good partner, then that helps elevate you up to that level where suddenly your pairing is a play driving pairing, but do the Leafs have another pairing that can drive play consistently every single night and can do that for 20 plus minutes a night is Muzzin hole that pairing. I, I don't know yet. I think that it's, it looks to me like a lineup where they're trying to not have any Supreme weaknesses and not necessarily have any Supreme strengths on defense. Yeah, I'd say that's a pretty fair analysis compared to a lot of other very good defense scores. Uh, I don't think you're going to see a pair that absolutely dominates, but I, I, I have a lot of, you know, maybe optimistic uh, belief that though, if you have some combination of Muzzin, Hole, Brody, Riley, 
there's going to be enough play driving there for enough time out of the game that you can be pretty happy with it. Because last year, they really didn't have that. Last year, unfortunately, whoever you put Riley, whoever Riley was with, whether it was CC or Barry, they were both drags on him. And Riley had a, a tough year last year too, between sort of carrying an abdominal injury and then a pretty significant um, uh, leg injury, if I remember correctly. So, you know, I, it, it, it is a lot of hope, but I, I don't think it's complete blind faith either. It's, it's, you're not taking a huge gamble. I think it's a smart bet that you're making with, with at least that top four. And then you have to see what you end up having in a guy like Travis Dermott who, you know, has become the talk of the town with, uh, with his new deal and sort of what a lot of people are waiting to see what he can do, which I have no idea. They could go, he could wind up as a permanent third pair defenseman who gets passed around the league, or he could really end up being a uh, legit top four guy. I think, you know, there's still a wide range of possibility. And I think we're going to see a good ton of those possibilities this year. Yeah. Travis Dermott, he seemed like he could very well end up in that Matt Benning type situation where his, his contract just keeps getting a little bit bigger, a little bit bigger as an RFA and a defenseman who's shown well on the third pairing, but you aren't sure what he's going to do on any other pairing. And the Oilers couldn't qualify Benning at his number because he got just a little bit too expensive with, uh, with the neighborhood they were they're living in with all the albatross and dead money that they have on their books and the Leafs are in a similar spot. So to get that guy to re-up and, and kind of bail you out, just it feels very Kevin LeBankish. Yeah, although I don't not sure there's like a now oversized contract waiting for Travis Dermott and Kyle Dubas's destroyer. But certainly the you know idea that it's a, a show me deal where he's maybe doing the team a favor, but he's definitely getting something out of it. Absolutely. I, I am really intrigued by Travis Dermott because I don't think he's played with bad like or exclusively bad partners, but he hasn't quite played with guys who have, um, have allowed him to explore his offensive potential. He's actually one of the better defensive defensemen on the Leafs. You wouldn't know it necessarily by watching him play, but the Leafs actually really just lock things down when he's out there. Unfortunately, everything seems to kind of get locked down because he's also been quite a drain on the offense when he's been on the ice. And I feel like a good chunk of that is just playing as low in the lineup as he has. He's not playing so much with, you know, maybe the John Tavares and the Austin Matthews. He's playing with your, uh, you know, your Alex Kerfoots and your, and your Friday the Goats. So that's another reason why I'd be curious to see if he, if he does get moved up in the lineup at all and really see significant time with a Muzzin or a Riley you know, what, you know, what can this guy do? Like he's shown you a tantalizing glimpse, but I don't know, it's gonna be a fascinating year with him. And this is what I like about them having options. Whereas last year, their options were, how do we hide Cody CC and Tyson Berry? Yeah. It seemed like last year was, they almost had to play in like they were, they were stuck in limbo with this. They handed out too many bad contracts that and didn't fill holes that they had appropriately. So they had to take on CC to get out of Zaitsev and they needed to fill a hole. So they swapped out Kadri for Kerfoot and Barry and that left them 
kind of stuck into this model of team and maybe that fit more what Babcock wanted to do, but it didn't necessarily work. So ultimately you change the coaching staff and now it's everyone's kind of more in line with what they actually wanted to do. And they were able to get out of some money and bring in players that they definitely identified as, as having wanted. Yeah. I mean, it's, I think it's now well-known common knowledge that the original target for Kadri was Brody. Well, exactly. So they got, they got their second option and it didn't work. So now they get their first option and it just, it took a year in limbo. Yeah. Although I must say, I, I'm a huge, I'm a, I'm an Alex Kerfoot believer. Um, and uh, I would probably much rather him than Mark Jankowski. No offense to Jankowski, but I actually was fairly happy with what Kerfoot uh, provided this year. It's been a lot of consternation about having him as the third line center that I'm not sure I understand, to be honest. He's not, he's not Kadri and he's not, he's not going, he's not Bergeron of the third line, but he basically provided positive results with everyone that he played with when he was playing at center. So there's been a ton of hand wringing about what are you going to do with Alex Kerfoot? Do you trade him? Do you move him to the wing? Is Joe Thornton your third line center? And I'm just not, I'm not really seeing where all this is coming from, except that just he's not Nazem Kadri. Yeah, I think that's mostly it. Yeah, it's, hey, no one else is Nazem Kadri but Nazem Kadri. And I love the guy, but I think you well, gotta, and, and that's the look, problem, yeah. right? Kadri was, was homegrown. He was one of the, you know, he had the, he was the famous pick with Brian Burke, really sticking it to Brian Murray on on the draft floor and saying, oh, that's the guy you want? Well, that's the guy we're drafting, right? And so he's he's had this long legacy and he was one of the one of the ballyhooed prospects that actually panned out for them. And so he was a very easy guy to love. And then even though I, I'm sure people hated some of the penalties and suspensions and whatnot that he took in the playoffs, he's still a guy that a lot of fans grew up with. Yeah, absolutely. I, I was definitely ambivalent about the cadre trade when it happened because I, I actually thought it was a decent deal. You know, I had like anyone else had my concerns about what you're getting back. But aside from all that, I was, my first reaction was like, Oh, this sucks. Like, even if it's a good move, this sucks. It's, it's a hard guy to say goodbye to. And I think you're right. When you, when you say that some of the consternation about Kerfoot is him just not being Nazem Kadri. He doesn't play like Nazem Kadri. He doesn't look like Nazem Kadri on the ice. Um, and he doesn't score like Nazem Kadri, but he does I'll do a lot of other stuff like him. Well, but I mean, if you threw him on the top power play unit with some of the horses that they have, I'm, I'm sure he might score like Nazimkad. Well, I'm sure I could accidentally score a couple with that top power play unit, but I do take your point. Yeah. Um, I don't think that what they've done has necessarily gotten them to where they need to get to, but it does. There's like just a su subtle hints of uh, Tampa Bay last summer to kind of what they did. Like they, they didn't decide to make some super aggressive move and blow up the core that they have. And maybe there's no way to do that with the situation that they're in. You know, they didn't trade out the goalie and they've they've left a little bit of wiggle room under the cap and maybe that cap space accrues over the season and maybe there's room 
to make one of those, make a couple of those trades to add if they do end up deciding that they actually do have a window. And ultimately, I don't know if that ends up being a game changer for them or not. Like a lot of the stuff that they've done is is filling out depth and the like and, and, and trading out depth players who could move up and down the lineup, but were making too much money for, for what they could do. And so like I find they're in this situation where now the Bucks it, it stops with their big guns and it's their big guns actually have to be their big guns come playoff time for any of this to matter. Yeah, I, I mean I do think that there were you can draw parallels whether or not that was actually the lesson they were taking or if they were going to do that anyway. You can definitely draw parallels to the lightning and saying, like, listen, if you have a core that you believe in, believe in them. Um, people will say that the Leafs core has not earned that right. I'm not necessarily one of those people, but yeah, I mean, add to the margins, fill in what you need to fill in, augment what you need to augment and bring whatever balance you need. But you're right. You need to, your big horses need to be going. And, you know, the core was fine in the playoffs. Mar you know, Marner didn't have a great playoffs in terms of production and he had about one pretty terrible game. Um, you know, Matthews is Matthews. Uh, you know, Tavares had a, I thought a decent playoff as well. Um, but you're right. Like I, I could definitely see, especially now with really how top heavy their offense is, I, I could really see that top six playing like, I don't know, a, a total of like 40 something minutes a night on a lot of nights, especially in the playoffs. But it's interesting, you know, I think the real question of what they did with their forward group is, you know, how much, how much did they lose in, in Kapanen and Janssen? And I don't really think that's, it's a simple answer to that question, you know, because even what, even what other teams gain is not necessarily what they end up losing in Kapanen and Janssen. And I know that you probably, I think you went into this a lot when you, when you broke down the Kapanen trade on a previous podcast. I think you, you brought up the point that he can probably do a lot more for Pittsburgh than he was for Toronto. Well, I mean, he might be able to. I'm not a huge fan of that trade for Pittsburgh and not necessarily – like, just, just read the room. Like, look at the deals that we've seen since then. The, the Leafs got peanuts for Janssen compared to what they got for Kapanen, and maybe Kapanen's a little bit more toolsy, so you're a little, and a little bit more excited – and I know why the trade happened the way it did, because Jim Rutherford, he's, he's famously one of those guys who he doesn't want to rip a team off in a trade. Bill Guerin has talked about, he's, he learned under Jim Rutherford. And he said, one of the lessons he taught me is if you kill a guy in a trade, you'll never make a trade with that guy again. So make a fair trade and, and keep your options open. And Jim Rutherford's also one of those guys who makes super aggressive trades but at the same time, like he could have given up half of that for Kapanen and that like that that trade didn't need to necessarily happen the way that it did. So I thought the Leafs made out fantastically. And I thought both teams can be winners because ultimately they identified a player who can who could fit in their lineup and can do well, he he could do more for Pittsburgh than he did in Toronto, but he's probably not going to. Yeah, I should have said probably. I think has the opportunity to do more might be more appropriate. Whether or not he's actually going to be able to, 
it depends on, you know, if you believe that he's got more toolbox than tools uh, or certainly more toolbox than he's shown, which, you know, last year did not look like it at all in Toronto. You know, he just, he, the, the one thing Toronto definitely lost in, in Janssen and Kapanen and that they didn't replace, I think, is finishing talent. You know, say what you will about Kapanen, the guy could score. He scored 20 last year, mostly at even strength or at least at evens and shorthanded. Janssen, Janssen had a bad year. He also had two pretty awful injuries, so I'll give him a pass on that. Uh, but I think anyone that they were playing, certainly they've not even replaced that level of finishing talent yet in their bottom six. So I think they've actually done a good job at filling in other parts, but that's going to be maybe what ends up making these moves look, if not, if not, bad then certainly maybe maybe a little bit of a trade-off um but you know the fancy stats the you know those two guys had terrible years last year when it comes to wins above replacement like just awful like pretty sure joey anderson who they got for for jansen had more the same wins above replacement as jansen did and he only played 18 games and jansen had like 30 something yeah when you say that the Leafs are still missing this bottom six scoring. That's why I, I compared a little bit to Tampa Bay, just in that Tampa Bay had to make those additional moves at the deadline to add some pieces. Like, yeah, they, they got Pat Maroon and, and they brought in some minimum guys in the off season, but otherwise they didn't really do all that much. And the Leafs actually had to lose a little bit of talent. Now, Kapanen played a bunch and, and he contributed, but basically Janssen was nothing for them because of the injuries. And it was basically just one of those lost years. Like you just, you write it off and you look next year, he'll, he'll probably be just fine for New Jersey. So you think about these losses that could be nothing losses. Well, they're still going to have to add something to get that third line that can really outscore and be a contributor for you come playoff time. Yeah, and I mean, at the end of the day, maybe you're, maybe if all you've done is replace some offense with defense, you're happy if you can also shed some cap, which seems to have been their plan. You know, they they whatever 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 Anderson's bringing in terms of on ice value, it's not showing up a ton on the score sheet. But that doesn't mean he's not bringing value. It just defense does not tend to get paid as as well as offense. So maybe they're plan is that they're not going to worry too much about having a ton of finishing talents in the bottom six, as long as their bottom six can still drive play. And then you worry about doing most of your scoring with the top six. I have no idea how much of a plan for success that is, but it's not like Tampa was getting 2018 Vegas levels of depth scoring either in the playoffs. You know, they had three guys over, over 20 points. Two of them had, a comp who two of them had a combined like 70 points. And then I think the top person from their bottom six is Yanni Gord, who had 14 points, which is respectable, but it's not lighting the world on fire. Yeah, Gord was that guy who really he drove a little bit of finishing for that third line that frankly just like they beat the shit out of people. Like Barkley Goodrow, he's he's no one's version of an offensive hockey player. And that's, that's not his game. Like he was, he was out there to be part of a shutdown line 
and kick the crap out of people. And that's what they did. And they did it very effectively. And they were so effective at it that they were able to get some of that secondary offense. Yeah. Now we're forgetting, of course, the, the bottom six talent they added with the most finishing talents, which is Joe Thornton. Does he have finishing talent? Does I, I think he can make other people finish. I, I'm pretty sure he hasn't shot a puck since he went over to Switzerland. I actually, he just had a tip in goal that I'm not sure that it wasn't completely accidental. Um, my, my thought would be if Joe Thornton gets a tip in goal is probably that he was trying to actually do a tip pass. Yeah. hundred percent. He was trying to bounce that puck off of someone. Yeah. I mean, I gotta say, I, this is another one. So going back to that Kadri or Wayne Simmons thing, like I have no idea how this is going to work out. There is never a bet small enough to make on a guy who's 41 that you can be assured it's going to be a good thing. But I'd be lying if I said I was not sentimentally really excited about Joe Thornton being a leaf. Like it just, he was one of those guys who you just, you always wanted him and you always knew it was never going to happen. I mean, as close as it came to happening about three years ago, it was always felt like it wasn't going to happen. He, cause he just, he was the San Jose guy. He was basically the face of that franchise. So there is a part of me that still is a teenager and is really happy that we have Joe Thornton, even though Joe Thornton, you know, kind of looks like my dad now. <laughs> and I'm not, a, I'm not a particularly young guy either. So. Yeah, that gets to my point about Toronto always just gets seems to get these guys a little bit too late. And despite players having strong seasons for them, even when it is too late, like ultimately, how much how much of a difference is it really making? Well, you know, I, I'm, I, I would make a joke about, you know, to quote Dan Goes Brown, their, their old guy without a cup ranking is now off the charts. It's, it's levels that we've, we've seldom seen before. But, you know, to be honest, I, I think there is a bit of something to Joe Thornton's intangibles, which is a word I truly loathe when we talk about hockey, um, just because of, you know, flashbacks to the David Clarkson signing. But I, mean, I, I remember when, when the Leafs had that, that 3 nothing comeback against Columbus in game four of the qualifying round, you know, it was their big guys who scored. It, it was Matthews, uh, or it was, it was Nylander, Hyman, Matthews, and Tavares. But they all said, like, yeah, Spets didn't want to go home. Now, what did Jason Spezza do to make that comeback happen? I have no idea. I don't remember a single thing that he actually did on the ice. I don't even think he played badly. But maybe he gave a rousing speech. And perhaps some sort of awkward laugh as well. So maybe there really is something to just adding that kind of presence to the room, adding that kind of voice to the room. You know, maybe Joe Thornton's not going to give every sort of rah-rah speech, but he will actually bring a little bit more focus. I don't want to say drive, but I think maybe focus is the right word to this group. And if he can also still provide you good value, which is not a terrible bet, definitely not guaranteed, but it's not a terrible bet. I mean, I don't see a downside to this move for sure. I just don't understand why they needed to bring in someone to teach them how to lose prematurely in the playoffs because they're pretty good at that. Oh, wow, Steve. I thought, I thought you were better than those jokes. I'm not. I'm not at all. 
it, it, it is funny that like they're two, it is funny that you have like Jason Spezza and Joe Thornton teaching this core how to win. Like famously guys who have not won before uh, through, uh, you know, no fault of their own, but yeah, Joe Thornton, he can certainly teach them how to lose with like tragedy. I think he's got that down. <laughs> really, the Leafs need to learn how to do that. Yeah, the Leafs need more of like a. The Leafs need to be less dejected and more haunted when they lose uh, by like you know the weight of of all their failure. Um, truly, spirits need to be broken. Obviously, is this team the favorite in the All Canadian Division that we're almost certainly going to see? sometime this spring um at the risk of pissing off all your listeners yes i i don't see how they're not i, I just and and i am saying that both as a lease fan because i can't not be a lease fan but also just objectively speaking they every aspect of in terms of the the numbers and the roster talent as a whole just looks better than the other teams um, they have not quite the play driving of Montreal, but they're actually not as far back as you might think. And they have a ton more finishing talent. Yeah. They have, they have multiple guys who can score instead of Montreal having none. Yeah. I, was, I thought you were about to say the one guy in Montreal. And I was very curious who you were going to Yeah, Which that. guy? Um, Tyler Toffoli can definitely shoot at the goalie's chest and you figure you do that enough times. Um, maybe, maybe Brendan Gallagher will have a few of those bounce in off of them. Like I, I really like a lot of their players, but I don't know who's scoring goals for them. Uh, yeah. The answer is no one. I mean, they will get goals, but they did. They definitely sort of leaned into that identity of being a Carolina hurricanes type team where they just have a big red dot in front of the net on Michael McCurdy's heat charts and no goals to show for it. Um, you know, the team that everyone was very happy with this year, Vancouver, I didn't actually think much of Vancouver during the regular season. Um, they beat a apparently COVID ridden blues team. And, and I, I shouldn't say that so derisively, like all power to them. It's more than the Leafs have done. And I feel like it's not even fair to say that they took Vegas to seven games. Like, I feel like, I don't know that somehow makes it seem like it was a fight. I get that they, it was game seven, but they didn't look like a competitive team in that series. They were just like using the Homer Simpson boxing strategy. Yes, exactly. (laughs) And you know, nine times out of 10, it looks more like the last boxing match that he has where it's only six seconds into the round and he's got three concussions. Yeah. Um, Speaking of teams that do that, I mean, I see a lot of love for the Winnipeg Jets and I really think Dylan DeMello is a a hell of a pickup for them uh, at the deadline and then getting him on a pretty sweet contract. But this was one of the worst teams in the league last year at driving play and preventing shots against. Like they had to have a heart worthy season from a goaltender to get into the qualifying round and lose so i mean 
there's pieces to like on that team, but I'm just not sure how you look at what that team did last year and on a downward slide from a 2018 season and think that they could be the favorite. I've always kind of liked Calgary. I think Calgary's got a lot of they, – they've reminded me of the Leafs in that they've sort of hung around in terms of driving play. And, I mean, last 2019, they won their division, but definitely have some of those mental hurdles um, and seem to attract the same amount of controversy over those losses. I think getting Markstrom definitely helps them, but I think replacing Brody with Tanev definitely does not help them. I am so fascinated by the Calgary Flames. I, re- I really don't know what to make of them. They have this potential lingering where you think, okay, the goaltending has let them down in the past and Markstrom was Vesna caliber last season. Does he have more of that? Was part of that whatever Vancouver had going on that helped drive him to those levels? Can he drag that over there? to Calgary and suddenly does Markstrom continue to be potentially the best goalie in Canada? Like, does he have that type of upside still? And if you have that, does that allow the flames to be a little bit more risk-taking and does that allow them to get a little bit more out of the top of their lineup who were outstanding two years ago? They sucked last year and they sucked in the playoffs two years ago. So we've got 18, 19 months of them being pretty crappy. And we had six months of them being outstanding. And I don't really know what to make of that. But I do like that team's potential as a playoff team because they do have a lot of those guys, I think, go up a level. Like, what the hell gets into Sam Bennett when we get into playoff time? Like, he's not an outstanding player in the regular season, but he hits some other level in the playoffs and it continues to happen. So it makes you think that there's something there. It's Fernando Pisani 2.0. But Pisani did it one time. He does it all the time. Uh, That's a very good point. So he's uh, Danny Briere. Ooh. Well, he's not that. No, he's not that. Maybe like relative to what he actually brings in the, uh, in the season. Yeah. You know, it's funny, you're talking about Markstrom. Markstrom was really good last year, but he wasn't like he wasn't top of the league in terms of goals saved above expected or anything. Like he was he was good, he was positive, but he wasn't even in the top 10 by any metric um, for goal saved above, you know, either Muddy Puck or Evolving Wild. Well, so I would I would that- counter, I would counter. He was neck and neck with Hellebuck in clear sights. <laughs> Um, high danger save percentage stat. He was he was very good by that metric. He was neck and neck with Hellebuck. So there were some metrics that really liked him. Now, what what you want to take out of clear sites? You can't look at their books unless you're paying for their service. So you you can only take what their endpoint data is, and you can't even look at all the goalies. But I think that their data better reflected kind of what you saw by the eye test, which was Markstrom's keeping this team alive like these guys get to play fire wagon hockey because this guy stands on his head every night and that's fair and i mean if clear sights gives a little bit more context then then that's definitely worth thinking about i was even going to say that it doesn't even matter if markstrom wasn't the best goal in the league last year because by 
the same metrics, Dave Riddich and Cam Talbot were awful last year. Mm. So Calgary's getting an upgrade no matter, as long as, even if everyone just performs at their same level, Calgary's automatically getting an upgrade. And they're a team that's for the last few years, they've come out on the right side of the ledger when it comes to, uh, you know, controlling play and shot share and things like that. And they've got guys who can finish. So they're an intriguing team to me. I I'm curious to see what they're going to do. I think, I mean, Chris Tanev to me is still an interesting one with the years and money that you ended up giving him. Uh, Cause that's a guy who's, you know, a lot of miles on that body and not all of them have been easy miles. Is it miles? Did he move? I think he just stood there and ate rubber. Uh, that's true. I, I think the actually just, if you weigh all the pucks back to back, it's actually several miles of rubber that have actually hit. This right. Point. Like it, it's, instead of, the mileage you're talking, you're talking about like how many tires worth of rubber rolled over them. Exactly. <laughs> and I'm told that that takes a toll on the human body. I'm no doctor, but, and then, uh, you know, last, last team, obviously my favorite one is your Edmonton Oilers uh, who I hear they have, a, I think they have a couple of good players. Um, two. You know, I don't, I don't, two. Yeah. Um, I don't watch a lot of Western or West Coast hockey, obviously, but uh, no, I mean, you have McDavid and Drysaddle. I think everyone knows that they're amazing talents, amazing offensive talents. Their, their defense is a very, very fun discussion to get into, especially on Twitter and Reddit, especially with Oilers fans. Um, but, you know, outside of, outside of Ryan Nugent Hopkins, who is an excellent player, you know, what do you have in this team? And what did they show you last year necessarily that makes you think that they're going to take a ton of steps this year? Yeah, I'm fairly concerned about, I think that the wings are deeper than they were before. They managed to bring Tyler Ennis back and I like that player and they got some value out of some of the guys they signed last off season, but I don't know how many guys are putting the puck in the net and bringing tourists in like, maybe an upgrade on Riley Shan, but is it like Shan's just all defense and no offense? And then Turris is, is he even offense? So he's certainly not defense. The guy's been outscored like crazy the past couple of seasons. Maybe that had something to do with just the funk that was the Nashville Predators. He seemed to fall off a cliff once he arrived there. Maybe his first year was good. In any case, didn't love that bet. I don't know. He's a right-hand face-off winner. So there's that factor. They really wanted a right-hand face-off guy because, you know, having Ryan Strom and trading him away for peanuts was uh, apparently something that they wanted to do. So losing their best defenseman in Oscar Clefbaum, like sure, they got Tyson Berry signed on a, a value one-year deal to replace that. But is he replacing everything that that Clefbaum did well for you? I don't know. I like the young defense. I think that there's some promising factors there. Bringing Mike Smith back just seems like repeating the same old nonsense. Like they literally could have signed anyone else and it probably would have been an upgrade. Like just because the guy had an outrageous year on the penalty kill, it probably speaks more to the penalty killing that you put out there than it does to what he actually was. Cause he really, he took the wind right out of their sails after imploding in that first game 
in the bubble and I don't think they ever came back from that. And I'm just no end of, of frustrated. And I get that the cap situation kind of forced this upon them, but it just, I'm, I'm sick of paying for the sins of five years ago. Yeah. And I mean, that is life in a cap world. Um, you know, as someone who, who ended up having to watch Cody CC play for a year, um, I, I can, I can feel your, your pain on that one. The Mike Smith one was rough. I felt like, I feel like everyone knew it was going to be rough when they did it. And they did sort of get, they lost, they kind of lost that game of musical chairs. Right. I mean, they, they really thought they were in on Markstrom. They thought that they had in the bag and, you know, if they, if they end up getting Markstrom, maybe we're thinking about this very differently, but yeah, I just, I, I, I actually think the hope for this team is, is if their defense does take a step forward, that could be really significant. Uh, you know, if, um, you know, assuming they do get the, I'm sure they will get bear under contract, but you know, if, if, if bear and, um, you know, a nurse and Jones can sort of take a, a step, I do think that there's, there's an avenue where this team maybe looks a little different than they did last year, but yeah, I just, I don't, yeah, I think even with those strides, you, you need to go a lot more forward than, than what I see them being able to do. I thought I would have liked to see if they could go after one of Carolina's goalies. I don't know which goalie Carolina currently kind of feels like giving away, but they didn't really seem too high on either option. I, thought I, think, with, gonna... I think with Carolina, they were, they were looking to play like a, a very long game of dominoes. Like we'll trade for that guy, but only if someone will trade us really good stuff for this guy. And we got to make sure that we're getting the best assets. Like it felt like some fantasy hockey type gaming situation where they were trying to have a bunch of convoluted sequence of events where they ended up paying less money and ending up with the best goalie and somehow also ending up with the best pick and, I don't think that's ever going to work out in a situation where everyone just decides, eh, we'll just keep our guy. And that's actually exactly what happened with the Leafs, right? And at least we're, we're kind of in on that goalie carousel trying to, it seems like, do the same thing. Like they wanted to send Anderson to the Hurricanes and I think get assets. And it sounds like the guy they were looking at was Darcy Kemper, who, mm-hmm. like everyone else in Arizona who is rumored to be leaving, is staying in Arizona. I will say just to the one, the one qualifier I want to put on my very bold statement about the Leafs. I, I think I said that they were guaranteed to win the division and therefore the cup. If we'll have to rewind on that one to just to double check is that Anderson had a very bad year last year. Um, it got better as it went on, but Anderson has to not suck for the Leafs to still be the favorite. And he spent three of the first four years of his contract not sucking. And then he spent one year kind of sucking. So my incredibly detailed analysis on the least goaltending is it needs to not suck. So what you're telling me is that you're already emotionally preparing yourself to suffer a game seven loss to the Montreal Canadiens on a play where Paul Byron scores a wrister from 30 feet out clear-sighted and it just squeaks through Anderson because that's just been happening way too often. You had it dead to rights until you, until you said Paul Byron from 30 feet out. Paul Byron's going to get in on a breakaway 
Anderson's going to stop it. And then there's going to be a rebound from Tyler to Foley. Mm, and TJ Brody's going to fail to clean up the garbage. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad that we, uh, we cleared that one. Uh, I mean, I, I am preparing for that, but I'm also still going to be just as hurt by it as though I wasn't. So, <laughs> you know, really I'm, I'm ready. And uh, I think we've talked about every Canadian team that matters. Uh, I do seem to recall that there is another one in Ontario, but, and actually they are famously a team. Are they a team? Well, they say they're a team. Like uh, I, apparently they signed Alex Galchenyuk today and I've been kind of musing all summer that I thought that he probably wasn't getting it signed by an NHL team. And frankly, I'm still not sure that he did. <laughs> I saw on Twitter about like someone, someone commented and they said, and here I thought Alex Galchenyuk had already hit the low point of his career. Oh, oh, oh. It's, it's too rough. And I, we're going to, I'm going to eat so many words on this because there will be an inevitable, like two Leafs losses to the Ottawa Senators on a Saturday night. Cause it just happens. I don't think the Leafs have swept a season series against Ottawa in a while because they just, they still have that peskiness. But my God, like this team, somehow, I don't know how they, they somehow got worse. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you, you're going to get to play them eight times. So that's, uh, I know, but we're, I like, we're going to go five. We're, we're going like four, three and one against them at mm. best. I'm telling you. Yeah. Well, that Brady Kachuk, he's going to, he's going to do some things. Like Brady Kachuk is awesome. I I'm actually, I don't know. Branson, uh, good Branson Zaitsev is just a, uh, what a, what a wonderful duo. Yeah, they really needed to add CC, bring him back and, and complete the trio. Here's one thing I don't get about the Senators. I just don't understand how you, how you let Mark, Mark Borecki, mispronouncing that. I don't understand how you let him walk because he wants two years, but then you bring in Gibranson, who makes more money per year. Like, how do you let your beloved longtime hometown player walk because he wants two years at, what do you make, like $2 million? He's only getting 1.2 from Nashville. So I don't know what he wanted from Ottawa, but. I just don't get, there's so many times when Otto makes a move where even as, I'm not, I don't even say it to be mean. I I just don't quite understand their thinking on it. Same thing with the Zaitsev CC deal. I still don't understand what they were thinking. I'm not going to look a gift horse in the mouth, but I don't understand what they were thinking on that one. There's um, there's seldom any true logic other than somehow it's going to save them some money. Yeah, that does seem to be the great unifying theory behind this team, huh? Absolutely. Scrooge McMelnick. I think during this time, I just re-talked myself into, into, into the Leafs clearly winning this division. But of course, it's hockey. So, you know, that's probably the now the it's less likely to happen or it's, it's well, certainly unlikely to happen i think even just by saying it now it's less likely to happen yeah you've you're putting bad uh, juju into the universe that's what i do i'm a least fan <laughs> all right mr canuck this was fantastic thank you so much for coming on the podcast do you have have you put out any articles recently that the folks should check out uh, nothing recent, um, but they can check out my Twitter feed. Um, I think I've described it on your podcast as mostly not stupid. And I, I want to apologize for the false advertising on that one. 
<laughs> oh yeah we'll uh we'll definitely check you out at the kung fu canuck on twitter thanks a lot steve hey you take care you too okay that is our show thank you so much for tuning in if you like it please like subscribe and review wherever you get your podcasts and we will catch you on the next one